Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. Let's be blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited to talk to my next guest. My guest has been a practicing urological surgeon since 2001 with an emphasis on urological oncology and reconstructive urology. He's got a strong clinical background and research and is focused on new drug development. He also serves as the executive chairman of the board for One World Pharma, a cannabis cultivation company based in Columbia, believe it or not, Dr. Kenneth Perigo. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sean. Montel, I appreciate you having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be able to interact with you. You started this industry years ago, mm. and uh, you were really a, uh, a forethought leader, and you've really changed the landscape for a lot of people to come into this and really be able to do new drug discovery. Well, I thank you so much, sir. I, you know, I've, I've, been, uh, like, I've been involved in this now since really on a daily basis since the year 2000. And very, very much interested in making sure that, you know, I think you know and understand this, I believe very strongly in patients being able to have a personal conversation with their doctor without anybody else getting involved. You work in oncology, and I mean, I'm sure there are times that you have to recommend treatments for patients who are coming to you with cancer, and no one steps up and says, hey, doc, don't you dare give that guy any chemotherapy. Do you know what that does inside of them? You don't hear people screaming and yelling. But the second you say, hey, doc, you say, I think you ought to try a little uh, cannabis, maybe higher CBD than THC. Everybody's got an opinion as if they have a right to get involved in a conversation between a patient and a doctor. So I'm so happy when I have an opportunity to talk to doctors who I think very strongly believe in that same idea that, you know, there's a relationship that is sacrosanct that I believe it's between the patient and the doctor. Uh, Listen, I was a slow learner. It took me years to really recognize that patients with advanced prostate cancer who were dying, who were having a significant pain and discomfort, uh, they did better when they were on cannabis. And it was uh, just through learning, through interaction with my patients, that uh, the ones that were using cannabis products, they weren't calling for the narcotics. Uh, they seemed to be better controlled. They seemed to function better. And it, it worked really well in their favor. And so it opened my eyes and it really allowed me to look at it from a completely different perspective. And as I got into it, as Louisiana opened up, I'm in Louisiana, as Louisiana opened up, it allowed me to really start researching the benefits and it allowed me to start looking at the the true medical benefits of the product. Well, that was the first question I was going to ask you is what drew you to cannabis? But now you've just completely answered that. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, the fact that you were open is I got to applaud you because even till today, there are still so many doctors, including the vice president of the United States, who's not a doctor, but who still is stuck in, I don't mean to say it, and I don't cast aspersions on it, but he's stuck in stupid. Still thinking back to 30 and 40 year ago information that our government was putting out when at the same time, the same government was funding research on cannabis. At the exact same time, the same government was giving itself a patent on cannabis, where at the same time, the same government had been distributing marijuana 30 years ago for 30 years before that through a program in the University of Mississippi. It's one of the things that I've, I've really been, you know, I'm on my, my high horse about, and I've screamed about it at the highest, at the top of my lungs, is I think that, you know, one of the things that we so sadly need in this industry is more information from an educational standpoint towards not only B2B, but education for B2C, the consumer. 
because the consumer is still caught up in really hundred year old mythology that if it was taught about the thousands of year old science, I think more would come to the table like you. You just hit the, uh, the point, uh, it really the nail on the head. We haven't educated our physicians and we haven't educated our healthcare professionals about what this drug does and how it interacts. We just now started talking about the endocannabinoid system, something that you know very well about. And, you know, now it's really funny when you say that. I just started talking about, I've been talking about it quite a bit on my podcast, and I've been talking about it quite a bit for the last 10 years. But we now know that the research was identified back in 1986 when we discovered the first receptors that, and, and Dr. Raphael Mishu called it the endocannabinoid system. He knew about it back then when he discovered CD1 connectors in the brain that he thought were the connectors that were primarily responsible for being antagonized by THC before he discovered CB2 connectors antagonized by CBD. But now he himself has realized that he may have been a little bit off in that because we don't fully know how many other receptors are available to actually respond and be antagonized by all the other 160 plus cannabinoids that we have. So I, I, let's start right there. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about a little bit of the fact that, you know, I, I am happy that the medical community is finally opening its eyes a little bit and starting to teach the endocannabinoid system. But why don't you take us down memory lane and, and try to figure out when we first started teaching that? I, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know if it's really actually taught at this point in medical schools. A lot of this is learned outside of medical school. A lot of it's learned through the research industry. Uh, if, if they are teaching it, it's brand new. So we just now started talking about the endocannabinoid system. We just now started talking about the relationship of CB1 on the presynapse and the CB2 receptor on the postsynapse, all of these neurons and how they interact together. And what's interesting is through investigational new drug discoveries, INDs, which you're absolutely correct, we were stymied because we couldn't get investigational new drugs except through Mississippi. And the products that they created in Mississippi weren't suitable to actually utilize for clinical trials. It was a horrible situation we were put in. They, they did not allow us to really do the research that was necessary for us to promote the science. And I mean, just right now, for all those that are tuning in and you're listening and trying to, what are they talking about? What am I telling? And, uh, and, and Kenneth, talk about, we're talking about something called the endocannabinoid system. What does endo mean? Endogenous. That means it's something that we are born with. Had you never in your entire life consumed any cannabis products, you have some cannabinoids, which are chemicals that are a little couple molecules off the cannabinoids that we find in a plant. But those things are actually created inside of our own bodies. One of them is called anandamide. The other one is called, uh, what is it, 2-AG. And those two chemicals, we literally make them ourselves. If you have never touched cannabis in your entire life, never been around it, never smoked it, never had it, you have cannabinoids in your body that you make. And what do they think they're for? Science has now started to recognize that this may be the reason for what we have in our body is something called cellular homeostasis. And if, uh, that's a big word, and big way to say it, but that means that we have a Goldilocks zone inside of ourselves. If it's not too hot, not too cold, it's just right. 
Well, for our cells to work just right, we need to have them literally responding to those cannabinoids that we make. And those cannabinoids, we understand now, are probably the only two cannabinoids, the only two chemicals in our body that work in a retrograde way, right? This is something that when you injure yourself, you hit your, you kick your foot, you walk in, you know, through a doorway and you kick your foot on the ledge and you bang your toe and ah, out to hurt. You don't have to break it, but all of a sudden your body says, oh no, there's an issue down there. I got to start sending white blood cells down there to see if I can stop the inflammation. I got to see if I can try to get some things down there to start healing that stub toe. Your body has a system that says, wait a minute, don't send too many. It starts running back up the nerve track all the way to the brain to say, don't send too many. You got enough. Stop, because if you send too many, it'll start eating up the good stuff. That's what those endocannabinoids do, right? Is that kind of like, I mean, that's about as as, as uh, elementary as possible, right? You have explained it in a very refined way that I think is easily understandable but you're correct. It's a negative inhibition. It actually slows down the response. It decreases the inflammation. These receptors are released, these uh, endogenous receptors, they're released and they bind to the neuron and then it sends signals to the brain and it really affects the brain, but it's also outside of the brain as well. We understand that it's outside of the central nervous system. Well, I guess we've heard most of the CB2, right? The CB2 connectors are in most of the peripheral organs. Is that right? That's correct. The CB2 receptors we know are in the peripheral organs, and that's why a lot of the cannabinoid products in the plant help to decrease inflammation, pain, and discomfort outside of the central nervous system. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off, but I, we're finally starting to talk about that, that these are really anti-inflammatory, something that we knew and the government knew, the federal government knew back when it applied and gave itself its own patent back in 1998. It actually submitted the application and gave itself a patent in 2002, and that patent was a patent for you know the anti-inflammatory capabilities of uh, and uh, you know, some of the uh, neuroprotecting capabilities of CBD. But we know that we were reaching out then trying to also patent THC and all the other cannabinoids. But we recognize it. So anybody out there who's watching right now, all you got to do is look up the U.S. patent on cannabinoids and read the abstract. And our government's going to tell you what it has believed that cannabinoids have been able to do for you for the last 30 years. Yet when you listen to a politician, they say, eh, eh, Marijuana has no medical efficacy whatsoever. So I feel like reaching through the TV and just smacking somebody upside the head. <laughs> I'm sorry. They haven't been educated. We have been pushing this uh, false narrative that there's no benefit to this product, but they truly haven't been, been educated on it. And there are a lot of benefits. And I also want to make sure that we're going to touch on terpenes as well, because terpenes and CBDs work together. Absolutely. And what people don't understand is, again, as we throw out information, I like to make sure I try to explain it to our viewers who are tuning in. What the devil are they talking about terpenes? There's fats, there's lipids, there's all kinds of stuff in that plant when you heat that plant up. But terpenes exist in all plants. Terpenes are what give plants color, what give plants flavor, what give plants smell. And yes. they also help to make them more bioavailable. That's the reason why, what I mean by bioavailable, it means that it helps to move the cannabinoids into the cellular, break the cell wall, enter the cell membrane, and become a part of you and actually do some work. Well, there is lots of terpenes that we've now 
been researching for 20 years and already written peer-reviewed studies about in other plants. We looked at bursine, we looked at lenalool, we looked at lemonine, we looked at, you know, uh, beta-carolaphylene. We know what all of these terpenes do. Those exist in the hemp sativa plant, and they would have the same benefits in your body as a plant-based, as a fruit-based terpene would, correct? Uh, they do. You mentioned a couple of terpenes that I think are really uh, important to touch base on. Beta-caryophyllene. Oh, we understand right. that it helps with gastric uh, protection. It's a cytoprotective product. It helps with uh, indigestion and discomfort. Uh, you also mentioned uh, myrcene, beta-myrcene. Uh, beta-myrcene is, uh, has anticonvulsant effects that uh, help with uh, seizure disorders or epilepsy, as well as a number of other benefits. And pinene. I think yep. you had spoken about pining. There are yes. a lot of antibacterial effects associated with pining. So yes. there's truly benefit to these products. And in combination with the CBDs, uh, I, I like to describe the, the terpenes sort of like the, the scope on a rifle. They really allow the CBDs to narrow in on where they need to go and focus on the, the uh, organ necessary for the benefit that they provide. I like that analogy. I, I've been calling terpenes the taxi cap. It's like when you put the CBD and the THC in the taxi cab, it'll get you to the location you need to go to. But I like the site. I like the scope better because that's more precision and more precise. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, that I developed a couple years ago. I developed, a, and this is before, and still right now, I've not seen it replicated as much in the industry as it could have been. But I developed some formulations that I put out in the marketplace under the Montel brand of uh, cannabis. I have THC products and I have CBD products, but even in my CBD products, I made sure that my CBD product was at least 5% specific terpene formulations for what it was I was trying to achieve. So I had a, I have a CBD product that is a daytime product that was one that was there for uh, uh, daytime to give you energy and give you boost, but also give you protection. I have also another one that was there for nighttime to help you sleep and relax and I specifically would use 5% terpenes in my CBD products, which were edible. I went ahead and used, because it was a little tougher to extract hemp-based terpenes. I was using food-grade terpenes because I think bioavailability-wise, it made it easier for digestion. But I had a 5% terpene formulation on top of my CBD formulation. And then for my THC products, I'm a little different than anybody in the marketplace. I created a series of products that were THC, CBD, and terpene combined. So I had a product that was 10% THC, 90% CBD by volume, but that really was, you know, 9% THC, 85% CBD, and another. 6% 6% terpene. And each one of those terpenes formulations were specific so that I knew that if I wanted a, a larger CBD hit, and that was something I would utilize in the mornings, and then I, I increased my, my THC throughout the day so that by the evenings, a lot of people is kind of reverse what other people do. But for me, to literally quell my neuropathic pain in the evening and allow me to go to sleep, I was using a 95 or really by volume, a 91% THC, a 4% CBD, and a 5% terpene formulation on top of that. 
that CBD helped to remove all the anxiety along with using the formulation of terpenes that also helped to relax some anti-inflammatory terpenes to help me relax and put me right to sleep. So, I mean, that's, that's, I think, you know, formulations like that are where really where we need to go. And it's only because research is going to allow us to get there. And you're starting now because of Louisiana, you get a chance to do some research now with the product, correct? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. We actually get a chance to do research. Uh, we're also developing products in Colombia where we're uh, growing all of our uh, products from One World Pharma. So it works very well. We found that the legislation in the United States, because of the banking rules, because of the CSA regulations, it made it really difficult to do anything meaningful here initially. And in South America, where it's actually legal, federally legal, recognized, it's an industry, we could actually start to do true research down there. We could start to provide products. One World Pharma is listed as the lowest cost provider for the highest quality product. That's really what we focus on. And we're able to identify specific terpenes and specific CBDs in the genetics of the plant that we can harvest. And through those, we can actually have medical grade products that we can do formulations or research just like your formulations. I'm impressed because you were so far ahead of your time recognizing the benefits of the various formulations that you create. Not all of these are the same. You need to have different formulations. You need to have different products associated with it to provide different benefits. We have certain products that allow you to increase your appetite. We have certain products that allow you to suppress your appetite. The other thing I think you may be interested in is, in addition to the CB1 and the CB2, which you're very well acquainted with, is also the olfactory glands and the olfactory, the the smell glands. We feel that that may be a completely different receptor, not a CB1 or a CB2 associated with those glands, but those receptors, whenever stimulated by the terpenes, actually open up these channels within the brain to allow more serotonin uptake. It's very exciting. We can actually take and and use beta-caroophyllin to decrease the effect of of THC, some of the side effects that you may have, the jitteriness if you take too much. And we can also use the beta-mercine to increase the effects. And that's just through smell. And most people think of this thing whenever they walk through mom's uh, kitchen and they smell that apple pie or that, uh, that orange juice in the morning. It just smells so good. It does something to your brain. Next time you do that, realize that that's the olfactory gland, this whole new gland. We don't really know what receptor it is, but we're going to figure it out. But it interacts with CB1, CB2, and it's very effective. Let's talk a little bit more about One World Pharma. You know, again, you know, you, when did you start it? When did it uh, uh, 
give me give me just the, the you know the thirty thousand foot uh, explanation of what One World Farm is. Well, uh, we went after the LSU project. Uh, LSU was starting a project to do research, and at the same time, Columbia was open up to uh, be able to produce products in Columbia, South America. And uh, we felt like that was a, a place that we wanted to be. Myself and one of my founding partners uh, started working with the government to create legislation. Uh, this was 2015, 2016, and in 2017, One World Pharma received all four licenses, the first company in South America and Colombia to receive the four licenses, high-dose THC, low-dose THC, as well as a license to transform it, export it, import it, but the most important license was the genetic license that we required. By acquiring that genetic license, we can actually register all of our genetics and we can make sure that we have pure genetics. We prevent genetic drift, which is a problem with these plants. We can actually prevent the genetic drift, secure our genetics, and identify the most appropriate plant to grow in the most appropriate altitude to produce the specific product that one person may need. If your company needs CBN, we can produce a plant that actually produces a lot of CBN. If you want a plant that uh, produces a, a different type of product, uh, a high THC product, a Delta-8, we can do that. So it's very, very exciting where we're at. And you could also, I mean, you also, I'm, I'm assuming you have a vast amount of real estate. We do. We do. Uh, the, the really exciting thing about One World Pharma is we're an ESG company. Most people don't understand what ESG is. It's just come about over the past five years, but we're environmentally sound, we're socially responsible, and we have good governance, good transparent governance. In South America, most people think of South America as, well, gosh, what are you doing in Colombia? That, that kind of scares me. But Colombia in April of 2020 was admitted to the OECD. It's a, a conglomerate of countries that essentially say, we don't put up with corruption, we have free trade and we have fair trade. That was an organization founded by the United States back in 1960. So they're the second country in South America to be admitted. They're the third Latin America country behind uh, Mexico and Chile. And it just shows that they're really moving forward. South America is uh, the uh, fastest growing country in uh, Colombia is the fastest growing country in South America. It's got a 94% literacy rate, but most importantly, it's the absolute best place in the world to grow products. 75% of all the cut flowers for North America come from Colombia. And so when you're talking about growing a superior cannabis product for the absolute best medical grade ingredients that you need, you obviously look to Colombia. Colombia is the place where, where everyone needs to be. And you are now growing not only THC, products, but you also are growing hemp products, right? I mean, products that are higher in CBD, meeting the threshold. From Colombia, can you import those into the United States? You can. You can import the CBD products into the United States. You can't import the THC because of the federal mandates, but uh, we can import the CBD products. And currently around the world, no THC products have been exported. Colombia will be the first country to be able to export THC products to uh, neighboring countries as well as to Canada, uh, Europe, and uh, Australia. Those would most probably be the first places where that occurs. 
and you would be, uh, uh, I'm sorry, you'd be transporting dis distillate or, or flour or raw product? What are you doing? Everything is oil. So we mass produce. Uh, we actually uh, produce, uh, we have at our disposal over a million acres. Uh, that's a lot of land. Whenever you start talking about, some people will say, well, we've got a million square feet. Uh, we've got uh, opportunities to expand to a million acres. Our research farm, where we do the majority of our cultivation and research, is about uh, 40 acres, 20 hectares. And then our ind indigenous partners, we, we partnered with the people of Colombia. We made sure that we, we didn't go in there as a colonist and take over. Uh, we actually wanted to partner with the indigenous tribes, and so we worked really hard to develop these relationships. Uh, we were recognized by the United Nations with a humanitarian award uh, last year, and in 2020, we were given the Fair Trade Award as well. So it's really important we've partnered with these indigenous tribes. They have been growing this product for hundreds of years. They know how to grow it better than anyone else. We have the perfect soil. We have the perfect sunlight as close to the equator as you can get. And we're producing these really, really good products. So in total, we have about 500 hectares that are available now that we've, we've started planting and we've started harvesting. And that's through our indigenous uh, tribal uh, uh, communities where we have relationships. And then we also have the hemp products. So we, we grow all three. We grow industrial hemp. CBD oils, as well as THC, which uh, just uh, recently got certified for us. And now, do you have a laboratory there on location also? We do have labs. It's not on location, but it is in Columbia. And so we can do all the testing. That's the other really important part. We haven't spoken about testing for this product. Not all of these products are the same. I think if I remember, we spoke briefly about uh, the testing that you do on your products. Right. You do rigorous testing on your products, and it's very important that you have appropriate testing. So we I found out along the way that, you know, a test is a test is a test, especially here in the United States. You can go to three different laboratories in the state of Florida and come up with three different results. Yes. It has to be an ISO certified lab. That's a uh, international standard organization. So it really needs to be an ISO certified lab with very high standards. And you need to check for various things like heavy metals or pesticides. And when you send it to one lab, if they're not doing the appropriate test, then you're going to have a problem. Uh, that's, that's the bad side of uh, cannabis that we really need to improve upon. We need to focus on our testing. We need to make sure that the products that are being put out are really tested and they're appropriate for human consumption. You've worked very hard to do that. And I think we're doing the same thing. Absolutely. And I think I'm going to want to do a, 100% complete disclosure is that we've been talking recently about trying to maybe do something synergistically together. And I really would love an opportunity to work with you, especially because, you know, philosophically, I think we, we really literally are on the same page uh, 100% in what our goals are and what our, 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 uh, our goals are, especially in this industry, and making sure that patients have access to really good, efficacious medication, especially if they're looking for it. That's the absolute key. We want to provide a superior product to patients to be able to benefit them, to improve their quality of life. This is all about humanity. This is all about us giving back. We truly want to be a socially responsible company that is able to benefit society. And not only, not only just from the cannabis perspective as well, but also from the environmental perspective. 
if you look at the United States, approximately 8% of the power grid is currently utilized for indoor production of cannabis. It's almost impossible to produce the same quality product in the U.S. with indoor grows as it is in Colombia with an outdoor grow. The cost is, is, uh, is uh, disproportionate to be able to produce a pound of cannabis in the United States with a high quality superior indoor grow, you're looking at anywhere from 800 to $1,000 per pound. Whereas in Colombia, we can do that for a fraction because we have the sunlight 12 hours a day, 365 days a year. And the plant's growing the way nature intends it to grow. You don't have to force nature in a box. The plant is growing the way nature intended to grow. Yes. Well, let me do this. I got to take a little break. We're talking today to the executive chairman of the board of One World Pharma, Dr. Kenneth Perigo, who's here with us giving us some science and making sure we all understand how important it is to, you know, have a good source when it comes to what we claim to be efficacious medication. And that's what we're talking about today here on Let's Be Blunt with Let me take a little break, pay a couple of bills. We'll be back right after this. Winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At MyBookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice! The NFL season has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action. Use promo code BEBLUNT and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. Designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you love to bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use promo code BEBLUNT and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in today to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And our guest today is Dr. Kenneth Perigo, who is the executive chairman of the board of One World Pharma, a cannabis cultivation company based in Colombia. Yes, I said Colombia, not here in the United States. And there's a reason why. And so happy to have you with us today, sir. Thanks for being a part of the show. It's exciting to be here. I'm really excited to be able to tell you about what we're doing in Colombia as well. The, uh, the growth that we have down there is, is uh, world-class. It's a phenomenal growth. We've got uh, beautiful plants and we've got large production. Uh, we're going to transform the way that uh, society looks at cannabis. We're going to put out a superior product at a low cost to allow everyone to have the benefits of this plant, especially in the medical industry. Critically important. You were saying before the break that you, know, you have about you know, a million acres under charge down there and the ability to test there. And you gave some of the reasons why Columbia over the United States. Why don't you give them again for those who missed the first half of the show? Oh, absolutely. So if you look at the equator, the closer to the equator you are, the better it is to grow. The equatorial benefits. Whenever you look at photosynthesis of this plant and the necessity for it to be able to grow, we look at photons, the energy that goes into it, the sunlight, and we can get about 8,000 micromoles of energy into the plant, whereas in an indoor grow, you may get four, or five, or 6,000 micromoles. And with those hot lights sitting on top of that plant, usually you end up burning the top of the plant and destroying the product. Whereas in Colombia, you can do it naturally. We've got the best soil in the world. We're as close to the equator. Our CEO, Isaiah Thomas, likes to say it's the equatorial benefit of the product, and he's absolutely correct. It really is. 
the closer to the equator you are, the better the product you're going to grow. And that's really uh, exhibited by what they do now. One of their largest export products, uh, most probably uh, fourth or fifth export product out of Columbia is cut flowers for North America. The vast majority of the flowers from, uh, from Columbia come to North America. Every time you go to buy a flower for your wife or for your significant other, it's most probably come from Columbia. Well, you used to mention him, and Isaiah Thomas is the CEO of this company, One World Pharma. And why did he get involved? And for those who don't know, Isaiah Thomas being, you know, the uh, world-renowned um, Hall of Fame basketball player, Isaiah Thomas. It, it took about a year. We, we started talking about a year before he came on as CEO. Uh, we spoke to him about uh, being a, a board member. And as we were continuing to grow and transition, it came time for us to identify a CEO. And we started talking about what he does with champagne. He's got the largest minority-owned champagne company in the world, and uh, that's out of Champagne, France. And he, he, he talked about how he uses his genetics to grow and how he works with the indigenous people of France and how it's a controlled substance and how he owns the genetics and how he has to work with the farmers as well as the government, and he's an import-export. And all of a sudden, it came to, to light. He said, you're doing the same thing that I did in, in France. I think I can uh, take over this company and really get you to the next level. So over that year's period of time, he vetted us heavily. Uh, he looked at every single thing we had. And with lots of discussion, we decided that he was the absolute best fit for our company. Uh, and we were excited to be able to bring him on, not only as a, a true businessman, most people think of him because of his NBA career, but he has a, a immense background in business. He was the first African-American on the board of the Chicago Stock Exchange. Uh, he founded the Toronto Raptors, the only uh, current uh, franchise that's outside of the United States for uh, NBA teams. And he was successful on so many fronts. So he really does have a, a really deep background on what's necessary to run a large business. And, and he understands that what you're doing in cannabis is literally, you know, groundbreaking. And, and, and let's talk a little bit more about, you know, One World Pharma. Where do you have the ability right now to export product to? We can export CBD just about anywhere. Uh, it's fairly easy to export CBD products into the United States. We can also export them to Europe and South American countries, uh, including uh, Canada. We can export to Canada. Uh, so the, the process of exporting CBD products is not all that difficult. You just go through uh, usual standard channels. Uh, we have uh, a legal team that focuses on that. Uh, in addition to the CBD oils, we can export seeds for production. Uh, we have feminized seeds that allow us to export them. Uh, they have a very high germination rate. And our seeds through our genetic research has really allowed us to produce products that have high CBD contents, low THC contents, so they're in compliance with all of the mandates for the United States. When we talk about our outdoor grows and our seeds that we currently utilize, if you follow some of our SOPs, standard operating procedures, we can produce products with CBD counts in the 18, 19% with very low THC contents. And these are outdoor grows. These are outdoor production facilities, which are almost unheard of. 
It was uh, through our genetic research that the government of Columbia actually wanted to partner with us because of our genetic profiles and what we were doing with the indigenous tribes. And they invited us to actually join them in helping to encourage indigenous tribes as well as small farmers to develop co-ops to come together to produce these products. And in Colombia, it looks like once this industry is completely up and running, this may be the second or third largest industry for Colombia production-wise and export-wise. Well, a lot of people don't know you got a million acres under charge, or you know, a million acres. That you know, when you plant the hemp plant in that million acres, it literally cleans the soil. People it does, right? Yeah, it allows you to clean the soil. Now, you 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 talk about growing, you know, uh, CBE specific, uh, CBN specific. Have you do the same thing? Where I know if you if you were to harvest the plant earlier, you would be able to get CBG, which we are now starting to figure out is literally what people are calling the stem cell cannabinoid or the guide cannabinoid, because that's the one that turns into THC and CBD. Um, and we now know that there are some medical benefits to CBG. That's correct. That's correct. You're absolutely correct. If you harvest the plant earlier, you can get a completely different profile of products. If you wait until it's a little bit later, you'll actually have a change in the terpene content or a change in the THC content. And a lot of these products, they'll change. It's an evolution. You have this uh, omnipotent product or this, this stem cell like most people like to refer to. And that stem cell, uh, all of these are phenols. They have the same exact uh, chemical structure with slight variations. And as they progress through the plant, they'll actually take and express those outside characteristics and have different effects. And there are different parts of the plant that have different concentrations as well. The flower has certain concentrations. We now know that the stem has different concentrations of different products. So it, it's absolutely critical that not only do you grow it, but you harvest it at the correct time. And, and you know, a lot of the, the usage for stems is you know, we can also use a lot of that cellulose material for everything from building materials to even right now, I just saw there's, a, there's two companies, I guess, that exist now that are using some of the cellulose um, as filament for batteries because they recognize that it holds electricity greater than graphite. Semiconductors. I didn't realize that anybody else knew about that. So we can actually use the cellulose. 60 to 70% of the biomass is associated with cellulose perfect for semiconductors. We can utilize it in the semiconductors, but also the cellulose allows us to replace plastics. Because of the cellulose content, we can truly make a plastic product that's almost identical to the plastics that are out there right now. And we can eliminate just about every single volatile organic compound that's associated with it. And those are plastic-like uh, plastic products that are biodegradable. That's correct. Plastic has got a half-life, what, a million years or something stupid like that? It's insane. Microparticles of plastics are going to destroy our world. We have to really uh, uh, try to challenge this head-on. We have to make true progression in this market. Uh, I think we'll actually be able to do that. The one thing that we haven't spoken about is besides the remediation of the land, uh, besides the biomass, is also how much carbon it absorbs from the atmosphere. This is a true carbon sink. And you mentioned uh, the uh, hempcrete, uh, how we use it for building blocks. Whenever you take the hemp product 
and you mill it and you mix it with lime and you form a block, it literally, with a little bit of water and a couple of enzymes, it forms concrete that's 12 times stronger than traditional concrete. Lasts up to 100 years, 100 years or more. And while it is turning into stone, it's a gradual process. It continues to evolve. It continues to absorb CO2 from the environment at the same exact time. We could build parking lots out of this and absorb CO2 from the cars that park on them. We could build buildings, and over the next 100 years, they would absorb the CO2 from the building blocks. Very exciting. This is an industry that is really emerging, and we're really excited about being here in this place. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of those things that are, is literally earth-changing, not just from a medical standpoint, but from a global warming standpoint, but from a earth standpoint. We're literally, you're on the cusp. What's been the pushback? I think the pushback is we're in the midst of an emerging market and we have to identify areas where we can actually produce an adequate supply chain. The reason that this has not been available in other areas, uh, if we look at Europe, here's a perfect example. Last year, Europe, all of Europe produced 50,000 acres of hemp. We can produce 50,000 acres in one harvest in Colombia. But if you don't have a supply chain adequate to be able to supply the needs of the industry, then the industry is not going to take recognition and actually step on board and use it. We yeah, are the first they're not educated enough to know what they can use it for. The other thing is, if you look at these products, they're traditionally stronger than plastics, they're more durable than plastics, and they're lighter than plastics. So we can decrease the width of the product we can improve the strength of the product. We can make it more rigid, up to 250 times more rigid. We can increase the tensile strength by over 100 times. These are true products that are beneficial. And in industries where they can't retool everything, we can take the hemp bioplastics and we can combine them in various products uh, where we can still use the plastics that they're using as a stepping stone to ultimately retooling the entire industry. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm really just shocked that, you know, again, are you, are you finding the markets opening up and being a little bit more receptive to the product? We are having a lot of people talk to us. They're on the phone, they're calling. And, and listen, I have to give all the credit to Isaiah as well. He is a megaphone. He has allowed us to be able to communicate with various industries that we otherwise would not have. He gives credibility to the industry as well. And so we are, we are in the midst of talking to various industries and they are looking at ways to truly open up the doors to change the way that we're doing business. I mean, I know that in the last few years, places like Libya, places like Syria, places like the Middle East that was, has been ravaged by war, uh, even Israel, ravaged by war, are trying right now to rebuild. And as they try to rebuild, they're trying to do it in the old fashioned way using regular concrete. It would seem to me like you could get into the, into any one of those markets just like that to be able to provide building supplies. That would be very exciting. We're in the process right now of trying to identify our distribution channels. How do we transport so many products? Uh, we are uh, strategically located right beside Panama. Most people don't realize that Panama is the second largest uh, port behind Hong Kong. 
and they have three of the largest uh, shipping ports uh, in the world right there in Panama. They have a free trade zone that allows for us to import and export products. So as we develop our supply chain and as we uh, are able to truly produce large products, large volume products, get it out the door, get it to where it needs to be, I think we're going to see over the next three, four, and five years a huge change in the perception of the product as well as where it's being utilized. I think that hempcrete is most probably the easiest product to utilize right now. We can take and provide hemp as well as the lime necessary, and we can start doing patches on roadways, or we can start building uh, small structures that are traditionally built with uh, brick and mortar. We can change that. And it's not that we have to be all in immediately. It can be a nice stepping stone as we progress and as the industry accepts it and as we have the supply chains open, we can increase the volume as necessary. It's a very, very effective way to get into a market. Absolutely. So now you're you're talking globally and internationally, but let's uh, come down for a second and let's talk about the U.S. market. Because, I mean, as you're providing, and right now I think probably from a consumption standpoint, there are more consumers of cannabis in North America and in the United States than anywhere else. Now, maybe not Colombia, maybe not South America, but any of the other Western countries. So what do you see? I mean, we've been looking at, at uh, COVID here in the United States and looking how that, how that is affect, looking at how that's affected you know, cannabis sales here in the United States. And contrary to, to maybe popular thought, cannabis sales has remained steady through 2020 or even gone up a little bit in different areas around the world, around the country. But what do you think is going to happen in the U.S. market in the next three to five years? Oh, my. That, that is, uh, that's the uh, $10 million question right there, isn't it? Yeah. I- I truly believe that we are going to see a, uh, a revolution with regards to banking. If you ask me what needs to occur to open up the market, we have to have a change in the CSA rules. As soon as they allow us to have appropriate banking relationships and they don't treat this as drug money, then the industry opens up. So banking is the number one area. The second area is that we have to have the appropriate testing. And I think we're getting there. We have to have national standards, not state standards, but national standards. And ultimately, THC is going to have to be not uh, decriminalized. We have to make it to where it's no longer a Schedule One uh, by the, uh, uh, the, the DEA. We need to lower it and allow us to do the research that needs to be done. I really believe that THC will be legalized in the next two to three years, if not sooner. But the CBD, even though the U.S. Farm Bill opened up the doors, we really need the federal government to step up and say, CBD and hemp is legal. If you accidentally have a production of a product in a field that has a little bit too much THC, we're not going to hold you criminally liable for it. Because Even though you're producing a hemp plant, if there's stress on that hemp plant, it may expose a little bit more THC. Uh, if, If we can make changes to the banking, the CSA, and we can have the federal government step up and say, we're going to completely open up the doors for hemp, you'll have a huge transition over the next two years. 
two years. That's what I would say. Take a look right now at the fact that, you know, we've got 39 states in the District of Columbia, or 39 states in the District of Columbia already currently have some sort of medical or adult use regulation. And then you got another five on the ballot coming in November. You know, I, uh, there's no other law in the country. There's no other other area of the country where we've got 44 states that agree and six don't that it's not nationally recognized. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, this this coming election and then the following one, you know, the, the 2002 election, if you get another two, and, and states are going to jump aboard because they recognize the fact as they look at their neighbor, they're getting tax revenue that isn't available, period. It ultimately comes down to the money. If they're getting taxes, they're not going to turn it away. It ultimately started with the money. Remember, the only reason why it's illegal is because of the Marijuana Tax Act. Most people don't recognize that. It's the Tax Act because we, back in 1937, couldn't figure out what seed went across what state line. So that's the reason why they really stepped in. And, you know, because of William Randolph Hearst and DuPont, who were really pushing really hard for textiles and chopping down more trees, that was a business idea. It had nothing to do with it being a drug. And it also became, you know, a social idea because it gave states the entire the opportunity to enslave brown and black people and continue slavery in a different way just do it through a jail rather than do it in a field so now i think we're starting to recognize that the crimes of our fathers uh, you're a historian it, it shows and i think it's important if we look at our history then we're not going to redo the mistakes that we did in the past oh, come on we would recognize that this nation was built on hemp and built on it in a way that people don't even understand. We can go back to 1690 and recognize the fact that almost 80% of the sales, ropes, and canvas, canvas comes from cannabis, sold in the world came from the United States because we were growing hemp. Columbus and, wouldn't be here without it. Columbus wouldn't be here without it. You know, and then there would not have been inter international cross-ocean shipping without it. There wouldn't have been a revolutionary army because they were all clothed in hemp clothing. We wouldn't have survived winters because people were eating hemp seed protein porridge. I mean, you know, I, 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 I try my best to say, and that, that goes back to the first question I asked you. I think one of the biggest problems, I think, in North America and in the United States when it comes to sales of hemp products and, and cannabis products is a fact of lack of education. We yes. are not educating. We're trying our best to educate consumer to consumer, but we're not educating the masses. And it's it's our generation. I know I'm a little older than you, but you know it's our generation that remembers in the '60s and the '70s that well, I smoked the joint and I'm okay. Now they're legislators who are passing the bills that are passing because the majority of they remember. Oh, my brother did it. He's okay. My cousin did it. He's okay. So they're remembering that now. So baby boomers are really. You know, which I think we, we, we actually have made a huge mistake in marketing of this product here in the United States because we look at, it, at recreational use or adult use as something that the kids are doing. Heck no. This is probably one of the best geriatric drugs on the planet. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, if you look at the geriatric population, you can affect depression and anxiety associated with this. You can increase the serotonin. The number one antidepressant medication is a drug 
these drugs, they're in a class, they're called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. They increase your serotonin levels. When you hit that CB1 receptor, it increases serotonin within the brain. It increases dopamine. So that homeostasis that we spoke about, this is a drug that actually, when used appropriately, makes a huge difference in the geriatric population as well. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's what we've got to start to do is really got to get this message out there. I think, you know, Isaiah is, you know, one of the perfect people to help, you know, move this message forward. I want to be able to help you guys do this also. And so, you know, I really, really, really looking forward to continuing conversations and seeing what we can do synergistically together to move this forward, especially when it comes to all the other usages of, you know, uh, the hemp products and, and uh, the, the byproducts that come out of it. So I got to say thank you so much, Kenneth, for being a part of the show today. Um, I know, uh, you know, you're going to have breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough, and I'd love for you to come back to Let's Be Blood again. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It was an honor to be here, especially with you being the, on the forefront and having uh, really been a groundbreaker in this whole process. No, I thank you too, sir. And if people want to get more information about One World Cannabis, where do they go? One World Pharma, where do they go? OneWorldPharma.com oneworldpharma.com. Okay. And I'm hoping that they do that. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been talking to Dr. Kenneth Perigo of One World Pharma, and I know you are going to have more questions about them. Please go to their website, look them up, get the information that you need. Make sure you continue to tune in to Let's Be Bump with Montel. Dr. Perigo is going to come back. I know, please come back to us again, because I love having conversations with you. I love the fact that we get an opportunity to take a minute just to highlight the information that a lot of people need to have just as part of their, you know, standard, like you said, their standard operating procedure. Because I mean, right now, I find it just an abomination when I have conversations with some politicians and they don't know that they have been distributing marijuana for the last 60 years. That's correct. Every budget that goes through, there's a budget line item in there for the University of Mississippi to grow marijuana that they have been sending out to patients. And they don't even know that. And they're saying, no, marijuana doesn't have any efficacious to shut the you-know-what up. So I'm so glad that we get a chance to stop and have a conversation, educate people, give them information. Thank you so much for being here. And make sure you tune into the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.